0: would find your copy of the scriptures and turn to the book of exodus we're going to talk about a familiar character today one from many children's books his name is moses moses so how about you guys just a quick survey i know it's, it's never good to ask everybody to speak up but i'm gonna ask you to speak up so name a story that you know about moses what a common children's story the burning bush, that's a good one. Ten commandments. Ten commandments. The Red Sea. The Red sea. Found by a princess. What was that? Found by a princess. Yes, found by a princess. Very good. So those are some we're going to talk about today and more. So what I will attempt to do today is kind of give Moses life overview. And then also the Christology in the books that God wrote through him. And then lastly, an application, hopefully lessons we've learned through Moses' life since he was perfect, right? He never sinned. No, I'm just kidding. So um, we can learn from these Old Testament heroes of the faith, people that followed the Lord, people that gave their whole heart to him, even though they were imperfect, and they served them with their life. This is the, uh, this is the objective of today. So let me, uh, let's do some walking. Let me get my scripture open here. So again, Exodus. So what led, where are we at before Exodus? What was the, uh, how did the Israelites, how did the Hebrew people get into Egypt to begin with? Well, we know this came through the coat of many colors, through Joseph, right? Joseph, whom was sold into slavery, was brought into Egypt. And I, I won't get into Joseph's story, but he was in Egypt. He was in favor, out of favor, in favor, out of favor, whatever. He ended up in favor. And this in favorness, he was given a lot. In favorness is probably not a word. But he was given a lot of authority. One of which was authority over storing for the famine to come. Which he had uh, translated Pharaoh's dream. Or the leader's dream. And so in that position of Joseph, he was able to bring... Who who, can, who was it that who well, who was the leader of the family that he brought over at that time? His dad, right? Jacob Israel. He brought him and his family all into Egypt, right? And so when they got into Egypt, what happened? They found favor in Egypt, right? They started multiplying. They started growing stronger. They started they were doing very well in Egypt without any issues at hand. For many years, so then what happens? Of course, where this is going is to Moses and why he's in the river. But what happened to that point? What happened? Pharaoh said, "Hey, wait a minute. These people, these Israelites, are getting too popular. I mean, too numerous, too strong, too whatever. I've got to put an end to this. I got to get the Egyptians back on top in Egypt. So, what's the first thing he does?" the first thing he does is he gathers a couple of midwives and he says hey midwives these were hebrew midwives this was the nurses of the day that helped birth the children and said hey for every boy that's born you kill him and for the girls you let them live that's what happened so the midwives went off and they did exactly what pharaoh said no they didn't they said uh no we serve god more than we serve pharaoh so what did they do they let the baby boys live of course so the nation of israel the people of israel started growing and continued to grow and even grew through this time so what happened at that point at the end of this growing pharaoh said look if the midwives can't do it and what the midwives it's just funny the midwives story right what did the midwives say they have them too fast we can't get there quick enough so we just can't stop it we can't we're not there at their birth that was their excuse for when they couldn't do it so anyway pharaoh turned to himself as hey we can take care of this on our own and what was his answer there's a baby boy that needs to be thrown in the Nile river right so here comes moses god's plan here for the nation of israel he's what he's put into a basket covered in pitch so it didn't leak And he's put into the river strategically. And who picks him up? Is it Pharaoh's wife? No, it's not the movie. So uh, I'm going to draw some distinction here between the movie The Prince of Egypt and what the Bible says, okay? I I like the movie The Prince of Egypt. It it shows some of the things, some of the aspects of the awesomeness of God. The scene where Moses is called to his ministry is is an awesome scene you can only imagine it would be that incredible but nonetheless Moses is put into the river and he is found by Pharaoh's daughter and finds favor with Pharaoh's daughter and then Miriam comes or the the sister comes and says hey I have the perfect person to help nurse this baby and you'll even pay her also so guess what Moses is given to his mom and the Pharaoh even pays for her to take care of their own baby Awesome, awesome plan of God I'm not staying too good to my plan here, so So this, this happens, he's raised by his mom until the point that he's weaned And then he's brought back to Pharaoh And he's raised by Pharaoh's daughter Until he's grown, right? And then we see the transition of events He He actually sees... An Egyptian man beating a Hebrew, and he interacts, and what does he do? He kills the man, right? And it's all fine and good until he gets up the next day, and he sees two of his own people fighting. He says, hey, why are y'all fighting? And they say, who made you king over us? Are you going to kill us like you did the, the Egyptian? So this alerts him, and then what does the Bible say happens? Pharaoh finds out and seeks to kill him. So that's why he flees Egypt and runs to the land of Midian of Mead. So while he's there, he of course, finds favor with his future father-in-law because of the good acts that he does. And he, and he finds this life. He gets married to his wife and has his sons, and then what happens? He's, he has the experience in the wilderness, the experience of the burning bush right so what is so fantastic about the burning bush it's on fire yet it doesn't burn up right it doesn't burn up so this draws his attention and then who speaks to him through the bush god speaks to him and calls him to his ministry and here's the interesting part to me is moses says i'm here it's me i'm ready tell me what to do and i'll go do it and then what happens, he gets a little bit of cold feet, does he not? He starts finding excuses, finding excuses. I'm going to find some scripture here in my iPad, if I can. So I was thinking about his excuses that he was coming up with. He's slow of speech. He't he he's not good at speaking. And So that was his first provision, right? Well, first thing he said was, they're not going to listen to me because I'm one of them or was one of them. And then he says, I'm slow of speech, so God makes a provision for that. And he continues to fight God until God really doesn't give him an option, right? He says, you're going. So I was contrasting that in my own mind with Mary. With Mary. So, not that Moses is Mary, but nonetheless, I was comparing that call with the call of Mary, and how did Mary react compared to Moses? She was a bit different. She said, okay, God, if this is your will, I'm, I'm here. I'll do it. When Moses tried to find every excuse not to do it, Mary said she would do it. So in my mind, I was thinking, okay, there's different in call, right? Everybody's different. Moses is different in the fact that he's a, a sinner just like all of us are. And so he really attempted to reject God's call. Because it was challenging. It would have challenged him, I'm sure, mentally in preparation to go see the Pharaoh. He was there. He experienced that environment. And the other thing I was thinking about is he's probably not, he's probably not as literate in God's word as the other Hebrew people of his age were. Right? Right? because he was raised in pharaoh's home and in pharaoh's home did you think pharaoh's daughter was getting out the bible and talking about and getting out the pentateuch at this time right and talking about god's word having them memorize god's word having to do the things that hebrew children were doing at the time uh, yeah probably not so he's probably behind the curveball on that but nonetheless he finally surrenders to go right to go talk to pharaoh to, and God gives him the equipment to go gives him and says I'm going to send Aaron with you so that Aaron can be your mouthpiece and as your mouthpiece you're going to, I'm going to tell you what to tell him and you're going to tell him that and he'll tell Pharaoh that so why didn't God just say hey Aaron let's skip the middle man here forget Moses come over here and let's just send you to speak for me in Egypt why Well, because God chose Moses, right? It was God's will that Moses be the one. And God gave Moses the provisions, gave Moses all he needed to do what he called him to do. That is much like us today. Today, when God calls us and we're saved, he gives us the provisions that we need to carry out his will for our lives. He gives that to us, primarily through the use of the Holy Spirit Also through the use of those believers around us for encouragement. God provides for us as he did for Moses. So on the way, let me see if I can find this one. This is Exodus chapter 4 and verse 24 I have here. So Moses course submits and says okay god i'll do it and he's on his way and then who tries to kill moses who tried to kill moses god did god it says right here in verse 24 at a lodging place on the way to egypt the lord met him and sought to put him to death sought to put him to death god was chasing moses to kill him why Why was God trying to... Moses was just called by God. You go to Egypt and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. Why is God on the way to his missionary journey saying, Wait a minute. I think I'm going to kill Moses. Let me seek to kill him. Why? Because Moses was in disobedience. That's why. The, The... covenant that God made with the Israelite people was signed in the mail by circumcision. And this was a requirement. And this was also their sign of showing they accepted the covenant. And his children were not circumcised, or his child was not circumcised. So God sought to call, to kill him because of his disobedience. What happened? His wife did the task and saved his life his wife did so after this small uh, small bump in the road from Moses right God trying to kill you that's not something that's small in my mind but after this situation now he goes into uh, Egypt right and he's got Aaron by his side and he starts delivering the message Delivering the message. What's the message? Let my people go. I am said, let my people go. And Pharaoh received this with open arms, right? Just cut the people loose. Now, we know that didn't happen, right? We know that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and God supported that and helped him harden his heart. So the ten times that God punished the Egyptians to try to get the point across... Pharaoh's heart continued to be hardened. And it was hardened. And it was hardened. And it was hardened. To the point of the final nasty last plague. So let's just for fun, let's let's list the ten plagues. Since we're talking about children's stories, we all know them, right? We know them. If we don't know them, then we'll talk about them today. So it's a good thing. So number one is what? Blood, right? Blood. So what was turned to blood? You all remember? Every bit of water for the Egyptians. So the Bible even says they went to, it killed the fish in the river, so they went to digging on the sides of the river so that the sand would filter the moisture from the river so they could get water to survive. That's pretty dramatic. When you think about that point in time, that day, there's no running water from the city, right? Everything you gets out of the river or something that you boil or something you go get out of the pond or whatever it may be. That's the case. In this case, they, they had to dig holes in the ground to try to get some water to survive. Okay, that's one. Number two, what is it? Frogs, right? Three, lice. Then we had Flies. Then we had dead livestock, right? And it was only the livestock of the Egyptians. Then we had a personal infliction, right? Boils. Mm. And it doesn't say boil. Everybody got one boil. Boils. If anybody's had a boil, they know how painful they are. Hail. Hail from heaven. What did this hail do? It destroyed crops. It burned up things. Hail and fire is what it was listed as. Locusts. So what was left by the hail... That you could eat, the locust came and finished, right? And then darkness. And then last of all, death. Death of the firstborn of the children. So this is where we see the introduction of what? Something that is still celebrated today for the Hebrew people, for the Israelites. The Passover, right? God said, Take a lamb. It can be a, as we say, a goat or a sheep's lamb. Slaughter it. Put the blood on the doorpost. And then do what? Eat everything of the lamb. Eat everything. What you don't eat in the next morning, burn it up. Right? A complete sacrifice of the lamb. Something that they consumed. A complete sacrifice. So anyway, we're going through Moses' life here, right? So now we came to, I guess, one of the highlights of his life, having the power of God behind him. Of course, he does that pretty much his whole life. But to to be able to tell about, foretell these plagues, they actually happening, you think that would get him some credit that he's got a connection with God? Of course it does. Even for the Hebrew people, they even say, wow, we're going to follow this guy. He knows what he's doing. He has God with him, with him. So the Passover, we'll talk about that more in the future or further today, but the Passover was critically important. The two things that came from this Passover event were the actual Passover and then also unleavened, right? Unleavened bread. Get up, pull your bread, get up early before it's leavened and take it with you, right? So they leave. The Egyptians get permission from Pharaoh to leave. They leave and what do they do? They plunder the Egyptians. God gives them permission to plunder the, the Egyptians. So they take all the, the food and they also get to take what? A bunch of gold and silver and all kinds of things to give them, I guess, the material items they need to live once they leave Egypt. But God gives them permission to plunder. That's the word the Bible used, to plunder. So they come out of Egypt, Moses in the lead. And they end up where? Where do they end up? At the Red Sea, right? They end up at the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh and the people, it says the leaders of Egypt, come uh, to their mind and say, what do we do? We let go all of our slaves, so now we have to do all the work. And not only that, um, um, they took all our stuff. We need to go get them. So they do, right? They take off to go attack the Israelites and bring them back, I think, primarily because of the obvious fact that now they're going to do all that work that was going on. So, at this point, then God uses Moses again to do what? To part the Red Sea, right? To part the Red Sea. And they pass through the Red Sea. It says, on dry ground. So somehow he parted the waters. It says there was a wall on, on both sides of them. As they passed through the Red Sea... And as they passed through, the ground was dry. You're talking about an incredible miracle to see and to experience, right? And who comes running down after them? The Egyptians, right? They're not done. They're set on bringing them back. And so what happens as they cross the Red Sea? God's swallowing up the Egyptian army behind them with the Red Sea. And they witness this. They see this. The people of Israel see this. It, and it even says that when they finally got through the Red Sea, the bodies of the Egyptian shoulders were washing up on shore. They saw it. They witnessed the miracle. You know, that's where I should be. But this Red Sea passing is often referred to also as a, a change for the Israelites, right? The old life into the new life. The, the blessing of the new life so what happens when they get across and of course all the event of the ocean closing back up of the sea closing back up what they do first thing that happens is Moses sings a song of praise Right? he's excited what a blessing it would be to experience that right? there's a, only about well it's 600,000 men plus a bunch of women and children so I don't know how many over a million people I'm sure that pass through the Red Sea it had to be a wide gap in the sea. I just can't imagine the people passing through there. One point two or three million, I don't know how many it was, two million with kids, who knows. So they go through this Red Sea and they have that. So of course Moses is excited and full of thankfulness. So what does he do? He he sings a praise to the Lord as he should. And then also Miriam also does the same. She sings a song of praise. As they should be, they should be very thankful for the blessings at hand. So now they're in the journey. They're, they're across the Red Sea. Now they're going to start their journey, ultimately, to the promised land. That's the plan. So the journey starts. And, and as the journey starts, a few things happen, right? God provides water. Water. He shows them how he's going to provide for their food through bread, right? And gives them strict guidelines about the gathering of that bread and what to do with that bread and how much of the bread to keep, et cetera. Et cetera. And they run into the Amalekites. And so God blesses them again by allowing the nation of Israel to defeat the Amalekites. And do you remember how they defeat him? What did Moses have to do? he had to hold up his hands right to defeat him and so what happened was he got tired he got tired and when he dropped his hands they would start losing when he raised his they would start winning so then what happened people came to his side right I remember Joshua was one of them that held his hand up to help them to win isn't that incredible it's incredible how God used Moses this imperfect man to lead all these people, all of these people, when they barely knew him, right? The only thing they really knew about him was God was with him. So what's the next big thing that happens? God reconfirms the covenant that he has with the people of Israel. He reconfirms his covenant. And in this confirmation what does God do? He says, hey, Moses, you and Aaron, and a bunch of your leaders, at least four people, I think, and then it says 70 others, up to have dinner with God in the renewal of the covenant. Dinner with God. So I'm like, that's amazing. They, they had dinner with God, it says that. Wow. So anyway, then what's the next big event that comes to in Moses' life? Is Mount Sinai right? Mount Sinai. So what's the funny thing for me as I read uh, about Moses' life? What is the funny thing that happens on Mount Sinai? Well, of course, God comes to dwell on the mountain, right? Moses goes up to meet with him. And then right after this dinner, he calls Moses back up there to say, I'm going to give you some commandments and start giving you the law, right? Because we know that all this law that's in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, comes from God through Moses Okay, he writes these books that, that God ordains for him lays out for him on Mount Sinai so he goes up and he's with God who remembers how long he was up there 40 days and 40 nights Moses was up on the mountain so the people of Israel are like hey Moses is gone Maybe he was raptured right up to heaven. We don't know, but he's gone. So what are we going to do? I know what we can do. We have this gold and silver stuff. Let's build us a calf and worship the calf. Since the calf just brought us through the wilderness. Since the calf just parted the sea for us. It's amazing. So they... While he's up there and he gets the ten commandments god writes the commandments with his own fingertip the bible says on the tablets he comes down Well, actually they're still up there and they say and god says hey What's that funny noise I hear? Uh, it sounds like a war chant It sounds like somebody's having a party. I mean it sounds really weird. So he takes off Moses goes down and sure enough, they're having a party with a calf And and Moses goes, uh, of course, and freaks out. He's been 40 days with God. And he knows what they're supposed to be about. He's reminded every minute with God, these people have been distracted. So he gets down, gets mad, and throws the tablets down. And breaks the Ten Commandments. What does that represent, this tossing of the tablets down? The shattering of the covenant is what it what it is is some symbol of the shattering of the covenant. here's the covenant, the Ten Commandments, the covenant they just renewed with God, it just got tossed to the ground and broken. so the covenant is broken. So how does it get restored? How many people die that day? Do I know three thousand people die that day at the hand of who the Levites? Moses comes down there and says, "What in the world?" these people are accountable get the Levites over here get the tribe of the Levites over here you guys get your swords and go kill your neighbor and your brother and I forget the son I forget your your other person go kill these people and it said the Bible says 3,000 people died that day and of course Moses goes to Aaron and what does he say to Aaron and you're my co-leader you're my right hand man what happened y'all remember what he said Well, we threw all this silver and gold into the fire and out came this calf. That's what he said. Anyway, we know that didn't happen, but that was his excuse, right? So now the process is, they're, they're, uh, of course, restored after the 3,000 people are died. That's what helps reconcile Israel back to God. So then, of course, he goes up and gets another set of Ten Commandments. He gets a lot more laws and rules. I mean, the, the, it just, these books of his go on and on about if you do this and there's that. There's all these parameters, There's all these rules around engagement, right? And so I, this is God trying to set the slate clean for the future, right? How are the Israelites to act towards one another? How are they to act... If they do wrong, or if wrong's done to them, and it just goes on and on. Has anybody got stuck reading the Book of Leviticus before? I mean, just get stuck because it's like, oh my goodness, this is so, it's so mundane. It's so hard. It just goes on and on and on and on. And I kind of feel like that in my Bailey's prayer experience. But anyway, it just goes on and on and on and. The bottom line is God just wants clear direction for the people And he wants to tell them how and what to do based on his heart Not based on what they want So now they, they go on, they wander in the wilderness some more And then I'll just, I'll draw it to a close here What happens here? They they go and they come to the promised land, Right? And uh, they say, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to evaluate the promised land? Yeah, I know. Well, let's just send a representative from each tribe in there to spy out the land. Okay, great. So 12 of them go in and they see the land that God says is flowing with milk and honey. Flowing with milk and honey. And they come back, and so they, because God has been promising over and over again, I will give you the land flowing with milk and honey. I will give it to you. I will take care of it. I will prepare the way before you. I will give you what you need to do it. So they all came back and said, let's go. No. They all came back, and 10 of them said, we just can't do it. The people are too big. They're too numerous. They're too strong yeah it is flowing with milk and honey God got that right but we just don't have the strength to do it so two people out of the ten out of the twelve said we can do it they had faith in Joshua so because of this leadership because the the Israel leaders are the ones that made the call they made the call of the spies not the call of what God asked them to do the call was to go take the land and and what happened? They believed the spies, so they said, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. So then God says, I'm going to I'm going to kill off all you leaders. You're not going to get to experience the promised land. So hence the additional wanderings that happened for the nation of Israel. They wandered and wandered. And so in this wandering, at some point towards the end, Moses sinned against God and against God's request for him directly and that sin was moses said speak to the rock and bring forth water speak to the rock but previously he had done what he had struck the rock because that's what god told him to do but this point he spoke he was supposed to he and aaron were supposed to speak to the rock i don't know the words it just says they were supposed to speak to the rock and they didn't they struck the rock twice And what was the penalty of that sin for Moses and Aaron? Anybody know? Yeah, they can't. God said, that's it. You're not going to get to go in the promised land. Can't do it. So that sin had a consequence. And it was a direct consequence. You're not going to get to go in the promised land. So, of course, who's the new leader? Who takes it over? Joshua. Hence the book of Joshua in the Bible. So that's kind of a brief overview. I didn't hit all the spots, right? I could have gotten a whole lot more granular, but it would have taken three books worth of material, and it might have taken us a bit more than a few minutes. So let me, uh, let me do a, a brief um, overview of the Christology of the book's that Moses was intertwined with, that he wrote, right? So Christology means a reflection of Christ in the Old Testament is really what it means, the study of Christ in the Old Testament. So as fantastic as Moses is and what God did through him, Moses', pr- Moses purpose by God was clear, and that was to point the Israelites towards Christ. This was his purpose, right? What did the law show the Israelites that they could not do it. That if you had 1,500 laws, do you think you might fail on a few of them? Yes, yes. So, it was a clear picture that they themselves in their own strength could not please God. So, Christ and Exodus. So, Christ, uh, Exodus really didn't have any direct messianic prophecies but it's full of types and portraits of Christ so here's seven of them ok so in dozens of ways number one in dozens of ways Moses is a type of Christ both Moses and Christ are prophets priests and kings although Moses was never pronounced king he was certainly served as a king over the nation of Israel both are kinsmen, redeemers. Both were endangered at infancy. Both voluntarily renounced power and wealth. Both are deliverers, lawgivers and mediators. Number two, the Passover. So the Passover, uh, make, it makes it clear that Christ is our slain God And the Passover lamb. So from the New Testament, remember what John the Baptist said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a direct reflection on the Passover. Also in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 it says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The Passover. Wow, the meanings that it has. Uh, number three in this is the seven feast. Each of the feasts portrays an aspect of the ministry of Christ. Uh, the fourth one is the Exodus. Paul relates baptism to the Exodus event because baptism symbolizes death of the old and the identification with the new. So this is Romans 6, 2 and 3. It says, By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried before him by the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So the man and the water, this is number five. The New Testament applies both to Christ, right? Living water, the bread of life. Six, the tabernacle, the materials, the colors, the furniture, the arrangement. The tabernacle clearly speaks of the person of Christ and the way of redemption. The development is progressive from suffering, blood, and death to beauty, holiness, and the glory of God. The tabernacle is theology in a physical form. And number seven, the high priest. In several ways, the high priest foreshadows the ministry of Christ. Our great high priest. So Hebrews, this is Hebrews 4 through 16, 4, 14 through 16. It said, By great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So one more verse from that first section. This is um, uh, 24 through 28 of Hebrews 4. It says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Amen. So these are ways that um, uh, Christ was reflected in Exodus. So how about Leviticus? So the book of Leviticus is replete with types and allusions to the person and the work of Christ. Some of the more important ones include uh, the five offerings. Uh, The second one is the high priest. We talked about that already. There are several comparisons and contrasts between Aaron, the first high priest, and Christ, our eternal high priest. The seven feasts, the Passover speaks of the substitutionary death of the Lamb of God, Christ died on the day of Passover. Unleavened bread speaks of the holy walk of the believer. This is 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8. through 8, says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ also rose on the on the uh, feast of the first fruits. So the Pente- the Pentecost speaks of the des- descent of the Holy Spirit after Christ's ascension. Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Tabernacle speak of events associated with the second advent of Christ. This may be why these three are separate by a long gap from the first in Israel's annual cycle so there's some examples of Leviticus and I'll do a few for numbers here as well so perhaps the clearest portrait of Christ in numbers is the bronze serpent on the snake you guys remember that right so what happened with the serpent on the snake the Israelites were grumbling complaining against God and Moses and so God sends one asked for poisonous snakes into the camp to bite the people of israel and what were they doing they were dying this was bad so the people come back to moses and say hey we have sinned against you and god please pray to god to take away our punishment and so god tells moses make a bronze serpent put it on a long pole and hold it up and when the people look at it what happens it says they will not die they will not die so what is this a typo? What is this an example of? Right? It's an example of faith. Faith that the snake, God's power through this image, would heal their bodies. In the same way Christ on the cross, in our faith in his sacrificial death for us, taking the sins that, and the punishment that God has for us because of the sins, taking those for us, paying the price so that we can be made right with God. So that we can be made right with God. So as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. John 3, 14. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ." So this is the New Testament referring to the book of Numbers and the fact that uh, Christ was their rock. Christ, a rock, brought forth water. He was also their support, their guidance. And last but not least, in uh, the Christology of Numbers, it says, uh, Balaam foresees the rulership of Christ I see him, but not now, I beheld him, behold him, but not near a star shall come out of Jacob, a sceptre shall rise out of israel this the guidance and presence of Christ is seen in the pillar of the cloud and fire, and the sinner's refuge in Christ may be seen in the six cities of refuge, so um, John six. 35 through 40 says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that every one who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So hopefully through those examples of Christology and those three books, you can see Christ... Reflected in Moses' writing. So, one more passage of reading. If you, if everyone would turn in your Bibles to First Corinthians. I'm sorry. Yeah, First Corinthians. That's right. Chapter ten. So the takeaway for me and looking at Moses' life, looking at this man who was not perfect, this man who surrendered to God, not immediately, but yet did. He had to overcome himself, right? And God had to empower him for him to surrender to his call. That was a reflection for me. And as I think about Moses and his hesitance, and I think about Pharaoh... And his hesitance, and I think about myself and my own hesitance to serve the Lord at different callings or different things he asked me to do. I I think of idolatry. Idolatry. And idolatry to me, I think 1 Corinthians does a good job of it. So if you'll allow me, I'm going to read the first 14 verses to you. You guys follow along, please. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with the most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did, Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear it or endure it therefore my beloved flee from idolatry flee from idolatry so whether it's idol worship of something external like the golden calf or a, a athlete or a spouse or whatever it may be all these things are idolatry including and most of all For most of us, worship of self. Right? I want what I want, I want it now. Right? That same battle never goes away. Well, for some of you it might. In your sanctification, you might overcome that hurdle. But probably for the most of us, that's not something we're going to overcome in this life. Putting that off as Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 calls us to do is an imperative. And putting on Christ, putting on Christ fleeing from idolatry the three categories of sin the bible mentions are lust of the eyes lust of the flesh and the pride of life these are the three categories of sin and it helps me to think about that when i'm tempted right where does this fall in those three categories and what does god's word say about that so moses a hero of our faith right Someone who God used immensely to do tons of incredible... Well, he, did, he used him to talk about tons of miracles. God did the miracle, right? But he was the, uh, the, uh, the officiator, I guess the announcer. Here, you know, he's like the circus ringleader. Here he comes, right? But it's God doing all the power. This man was a sinner like you and I, but he surrendered and he served the Lord and he gave it his all. And God empowered him to do so, just like he does us today with the Holy Spirit. So, thanks for listening, and let us pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in prayer to give you thanks and praise. Lord, we uh, love you for, for what you've done, for you first loved us. God, you gave your life, you gave your all for us, Lord. You took our sins and your body on the tree so that we may die to sin. And live for righteousness. For your wounds or your stripes we are healed. So God we are so thankful for that. Lord we thank you for the example that Moses is. A man flawed yet made whole by you. Just as we are. So God when I say who am I? I know who I am. I'm one redeemed by you. The redeemer. The one that paid the price to make me right with God not on my own merit in any way, form, or fashion, but by your grace and mercy purely. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for Moses. We thank you that we can refer to him in our children's books because of all the miraculous things you did through him. Lord, we thank you for that, and we just thank you for today, another day that we can serve you and worship you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.